My name is Drew Burdett, and I'm the RUF pastor at Oregon State, and I'll be uh, preaching this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles or in your uh, order of worship to Mark chapter 11. So one of the things I've noticed as I've gotten older in my life is that uh, holidays are much harder for me to celebrate. Uh, When I was a kid, and I've realized this more by having kids, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and when you're young, you live for holidays, right? My kids, they they mark them on the calendar, okay, it's 364 days to my birthday, and they will just march it through. They want to know what's the next holiday, Easter's big, Christmas, it doesn't matter, uh, they kind of float through the rest of the days living for the holidays. What I've noticed as I've gotten older that it's really hard to celebrate holidays. It's kind of like you just, you're floating through life and it doesn't matter what the holiday is. It often just feels like another Tuesday, another Monday, another Friday or Sunday. And that's true of regular holidays. And it's also true of, of Christian holidays or holy days. And this morning is, is Palm Sunday, and we have Good Friday to look forward to this Friday, and then next week we have Easter. And so a question I want us to think about before we even jump into the text is this, how do we prepare ourselves to celebrate? If you're like me, and it's easy for holidays to kind of lose their glamour or their glitter, how do we prepare our hearts now for Friday? How do we prepare our hearts now for next Sunday? How do we approach this week so that Friday isn't just good because it marks the beginning of the weekend or um, Easter is not just the meal that we celebrate after church together? And so in order to answer that question, I want us to ask, well, how did Jesus kick off this week? How did Jesus kick off Holy Week? Well, he, he did it, of course, with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this is where our passage picks up in Mark chapter 11. Look at it with me now. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning that we can gather together really on the cusp of Holy Week. 
Lord, this is an important week in, in your life, Jesus, and it's also an important week in the life of your people. And yet we confess, even now at the very beginning, that we know that we're going to just float through unless you intervene, unless you teach us and help us to appreciate who you are and what you have done. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us um, eyes to see you, ears to hear you, that you would warm our hearts to your grace and to your gospel, and that we would leave prepared and ready to celebrate you in all the facets of Holy Week. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, As you may guess, I'm not from around here. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina, and so I've lived here in the Northwest for about a decade now. And usually we go home once a year. It's a big trip. We have two kids now. And so in the summer, we'll take a a week or two, and we'll go back to the South, and we'll visit all of our family. But after a few weeks of sleeping on other people's guest beds and the old pillows that they always put in those rooms, eating everybody's food, doing everybody else's schedule... We are eager to get back home. And that is a long day of traveling. It's at least 12 hours from door to door, multiple flights, small kids, um, you know, eating in airports. Now we have to drive. And what I've noticed is that the hardest part of the trip for me, now that we live here in Oregon, is when we're driving down I-5, and we've landed in Portland, we're driving down I-5, we've been traveling all day, and then I turn off of I-5, and I have to slow down. That is the most difficult part of the trip. I don't want to drive 35 miles an hour the last 20 minutes of the trip. I want to drive 75 or even, or even more. If you've been to Corvallis, you'll know that you enter over the Willamette uh, River. I want to jump that bridge when I'm landing into Corvallis. By the time I've been traveling 12 hours, I just want to get home. And I think we are all like this. Which is what makes Jesus' actions in this story So surprising. If you've been following through the gospel, you'll know that Jesus has been traveling towards Jerusalem for a long time. Not through plane or automobiles, but he's been walking to Jerusalem. But what does he do is he crests the top of the hill of the Mount of Olives and he looks down and Jerusalem's right there. We expect him to floor it, right? To make it to Jerusalem, but he doesn't. He hits the brakes. He stops. And instead of just rushing on into Jerusalem, he sends his two disciples on this odd errand. He wants them to go a mile and a half further down the road to this village to fetch this particular young animal, probably a a small colt, a donkey, that he is planning to ride into Jerusalem. Now, regardless of what all this means, one thing is clear. And that is that Jesus is intentionally making a scene. He's doing this on purpose. He does not need the donkey to make it into Jerusalem. It's not as if he's tired or worn out. And he says, I need you to just go. I think there's a donkey down here. Go get it. I'm worn out. I need a ride. No, Jesus is staging his entrance into Jerusalem. And what I want us to focus on this morning is Jesus' intentionality. He is being intentional about how he is entering into Jerusalem. Now, what are we supposed to get out of this? What are we supposed to see? What does Jesus want us to see through this action? Well, two things. In this intentional act, 
Jesus is on one hand declaring his identity as the long-awaited king, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior. He is declaring his identity. This is who I am. But also through this intentional act, Jesus isn't just declaring his identity. He is also embracing his calling personally as the long-awaited Savior as well. So let's look at the first. How is this act of Jesus, Jesus a declaration of his identity? You know, when we read the story of the triumphal entry, we all feel like it's a misnomer, right? It has this kind of Don Quixote vibe to it. Feels like maybe a political cartoon. Jesus is riding in on this small beast of burden. Maybe his feet are dragging behind him. There's a little cloud of dust. And you can picture a sign that says, Jesus, King of the Jews, returns to save the day. It almost feels silly to us. It doesn't feel triumphant at all. And one of the reasons I think we feel this way is that we don't particularly associate donkeys with royalty. We associate donkeys with like Shrek. Prince Charming doesn't ride a donkey. Warriors, heroes, kings, important people, they ride stallions, powerful war horses. But if you were a Jewish woman or a Jewish man living in the first century, making pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, the donkey would have been a very fitting mount for the king returning to his kingdom. Why? Because of Zechariah 9.9. In Matthew's account, and both in Luke as well, they quote this verse. As what Jesus was doing was fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy of how the king would enter into his kingdom. We've read it before, but here it is again. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humbled and mounted, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What Jesus is doing when he stops, right, he goes crest the hill of the Mount of Olives, he sees Jerusalem. He stops and he commandeers this small beast of burden. What he is doing is he is in declaring his identity that he is the king that Zechariah had pointed to. That he is coming into his city in triumph, righteous and having salvation as he. And shockingly for us, the pilgrims and the disciples pick up this and kind of interpret Jesus' actions correctly. Look again with me at verses 7 through 10. It says they brought the colt to Jesus and they, they threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread with their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Back in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 9, there's a scene where the prophet Elisha, he he secretly anoints Jehu as king. And when he leaves, the men around him, when they realize what has just happened, what do they do? The text says that they actually took off their cloaks They laid them on the ground for him to walk on as they proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so when when Jesus is 
is riding on this donkey and the, 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 the disciples and the pilgrims are around him for a moment, at least everyone and everything is responding correctly. Everything seems to be getting it from the unbroke young donkey that peacefully somehow allows, miraculously allows Jesus to ride on him without bucking to the pilgrims that cast their cloaks and lift up their voices in praise. Everything is worshiping and serving and celebrating the king. And so a question for us as we think about ourselves in this position, Palm Sunday 2022, what about us? We all have a choice to make. And the choice really of Holy Week, the choice of today, the choice of every day is what are we going to do with Jesus and who he has declared himself to be? We have to intentionally choose how we will respond to his declaration. We have a choice to make. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's famous quote in Mere Christianity. Where he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Well, that's the thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was... And is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But he has not let us come. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. But Jesus throughout all the gospels is, is declaring who he is. But as he enters into the city, as he enters into the last week of his life, he is intentionally declaring that he is the king who rules. And the question of Holy Week is, what are we going to do with Jesus? What choice will we choose? Will we be silent or will we praise? Will we reject him or will we embrace him? Will we have faith or unbelief? Will we be curious and interested in him or will we be apathetic? We must choose. What are you going to do with Jesus? He has been intentional about declaring who he is. And that is part of how he begins this week. And that is one of the reasons why he stops and goes and gets this mount. It's because he wants to be clear with who he is. Now, obviously, we can see how this intentional act of entering into Jerusalem as a king mounted on the donkey would have been a declaration of his identity. But what else does this action of Jesus teach us about him? What else does he want us to see? Well, in this moment, Jesus was not just declaring his identity. Jesus was embracing his calling. How is this act of Jesus an embrace of his calling? For Jesus, this ride into Jerusalem is the beginning of the end. Jesus knows exactly what awaits him in Jerusalem. He has been telling his disciples 
all along the journey. Listen to a discussion that Jesus had literally on the way with them to Jerusalem. This is from Mark 10. It's just two stories back. It says, and as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who, who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You see, Jesus and his disciples had been with this band of pilgrims heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover for a while. We know from historians that at, at Passover, Jerusalem would just swell with people. It's usually around about 40,000 in population, but hundreds of thousands would come. It would swell to maybe 240,000 people. So you can picture Jesus with all of these pilgrims heading towards Jerusalem. And emotions are running high for everybody. If you're a pilgrim, emotions have been running high. You had all of these people singing the pilgrim hymns coming into the city for the Jewish leaders, for the Roman leaders, everybody, all, all their nerves, everybody's emotions are running high during this week. But particularly for the disciples, it says they are amazed and they are afraid because Jesus has been telling them what is about to happen. Jesus knows exactly what awaits for him in Jerusalem. Imagine as you think about your week ahead, we know some of the things that are coming, right? Maybe assignments in school, maybe conflict that we might have to handle at work. We know the kind of the, the gist of our week and Jesus knows the gist of his week. He knows what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Betrayal. Condemnation. Mockery, injustice, pain, fear, grief and sadness, death and resurrection, all within one week, seven days. And he has been heading towards Jerusalem. And as he crests the hill of the Mount of Olives and he sees Jerusalem laid out in front of him, he stops. You know, for Jesus, he is at the point of no return. Just as we have a, a choice of how we're going to respond to Jesus, what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus had a choice to make of his own. Knowing what awaits him in Jerusalem, when he sees the city, what does he do? The text says, that he sends for his mount, the mount of the Messianic King. And this morning I said that we wanted to focus on Jesus' intentionality, knowing clearly what awaits him down in Jerusalem. Jesus embraces it. Jesus embraces his calling. Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem. No one made him do that. He was not a robot just simply going through the motions and, oh, this is what's next for me. I guess I'm going to go do this. Jesus is not the unfortunate victim of powers and forces that are too great for him. 
He chose this. As he told his disciples in John 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. When Jesus stops and he sends for the mount, when he sends for the donkey, what he is doing is he is embracing his calling as the savior of the world and all that that would require of him. He would see it through to the end. You know, our, our text ends this way in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's kind of a lonely and reflective scene. Right? The crowds, we don't know where they went. They've kind of disbanded. They're gone. And, and it appears as if Jesus goes into the temple alone. By himself. And after looking at everything, he he goes back to Bethany, kind of back to where he was at with his disciples for the evening. And we're not really told about his feelings, about what he felt or what he saw when he entered the temple. But I think it's pretty safe to say that he wasn't too pleased. Because we know what happens on Monday, right? If you read the story, you'll know that Jesus has a case of the Mondays. The next day, he seems to be in a bad mood, right? He's he's cursing fruitless fig trees. And then he goes into the temple and what does he do? He finds a, a prayerless temple and he's throwing over tables and running people out because they have turned his father's house into a, a den of robbers. And what this highlights for us or this highlights, I should say, something for us vital about Jesus's choice to enter Jerusalem and to embrace his calling. He wasn't motivated by our goodness. He wasn't motivated by our merit. It's not as if he looked out over Jerusalem and then he also looked out through the span of time and he thought, they're just so good. Man, they're just so good. I, I, I'm just, I have to do this for them. No. Clearly not, because we know our own hearts and we know what Jesus found when he entered Jerusalem. So what prompts this choice? When he's standing on the Mount of Olives and he he sees it through and he gets his mount, what is motivating his heart to embrace this betrayal and pain and sadness and grief and loneliness that his calling would require? Well, it clearly wasn't our merit. It wasn't our goodness. It wasn't duty or fear as if this is just what I had to do. It was an obligation over and over and over again. The Bible makes it clear he was motivated by love. Later this week, he will tell his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. It's John 15. Or as Paul, as he's thinking about what Jesus has done, says this in Romans, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The triumphal entry is clearly the beginning of the end for Jesus. He knows this. We know this. He chose to enter into Jerusalem and to embrace his calling as the long-awaited Messiah. And in his actions, we see his great love on display. We see his heart. 
And so this morning, Palm Sunday, it's the beginning of Holy Week. It's an important week in Jesus' life. Do you know that the Gospel of Mark, it takes up one-third of the Gospel of Mark devoted to this week. The Gospel of John takes up half of the book in dealing with this week. It's important. And yet for us, the reality remains that we're not that good at celebrating holidays. We just float through them. With the busyness and stress of life, we just go through the motions. And so this morning, I would invite you to enter into this week in the same way that Jesus did. Stop. Pause. The week is laid out ahead of you. We know what's coming. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter. Stop, take a breath, and be intentional. How will you enter into this week? We know how Jesus did. How will you enter into this week? I would encourage you to be intentional about the heart. To be intentional about your own heart. And to be intentional to reflect on the heart of Christ. This is a good week to be introspective. To be reflective. And to think about our own hearts. To slow down. Is your heart warm or is it cold towards Christ? As you think about the choices you're making and what motivates you, is there fruit in your life that is growing from faith and love and Christ? Or do you find that you're just kind of going through the motions? Is your heart like the temple that Jesus found in Jerusalem when he Yes, that he found in Jerusalem. Is it busy, transactional, and maybe prayerless? You know, as we approach Good Friday and the crucifixion, there's no better time than to sit and to reflect on the weight and the height and the depth and the width of our own sin. To To take a deep look at our hearts. What choices are we making? Not so that we can try to be better to earn his grace or so that he'll be more appreciative of us, but so that we can so that we can appreciate our need for Christ and all that it took for him to sacrifice for us. And so this week, be intentional about your own hearts. Reflect on them. But don't just think about your own heart. More importantly, reflect on the heart of Of Christ. Yes, the cross does reveal the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of our sin, of what it took to reconcile us to the Father, and it's good and right to reflect on that. But more importantly, the cross shows us, it reveals to us the height and the depth and the width of the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. And so reflect on that. Reflect on Christ's love for his children. His heart is not cold towards you. He loves his own to the end. And so the triumphal entry, it's the beginning of the end of Jesus' life. And here, on this day, Palm Sunday, 
As clear as the cross, we see Jesus display his love for his people. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He drops the gauntlet. He reveals his identity. He embraces his calling. And he rides into Jerusalem so that he can lay down his life out of love to win his people. Let's pray. Jesus, it's easy for us to float. Many of us have celebrated Palm Sunday and Holy Week many, many, many times. And it can be easy to just go through the motions. But Lord, as we think about your word all through Scripture, what is clear is that what you want of us is not just our actions, it's our, our very hearts. You want us to engage with you. You want us to love you. You want us to walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that this week that you would be real to us, that you would remind us, prompt our hearts to slow down and to be reflective about who we are, what we were doing, and how we are living our lives so that we can prepare to receive and to be amazed at the beauty of your sacrifice. And Lord, also I pray that you would help us this week to see and to taste Maybe for the first time or maybe uh, in a new way, your great love. That, Lord, you died because you loved us. That this was for our sake. As Scripture tells us over and over again. Though you were rich, you became poor so that in your poverty we might become rich. That is the story of the gospel. And, Lord, you help us to reflect on that this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.